Um, we are completing the story this morning of the woman at the well. I have particularly uh, loved how we've kind of broken down this chapter. A lot of times when John chapter 4 is taught, uh, it's taught in kind of one fail swoop all the way through verse 42. And we don't always get into the particulars of the story and, and, and some of the emotions of the story are not drawn out. And so I, I'm particularly thankful uh, just in the past few weeks if we, as we've been able to journey through this in smaller uh, kind of bite-sized chunks, hopefully uh, that has really drawn you in and encouraged you of what Jesus is up to in this passage. What we're going to see today as the story begins to turn uh, is what I've entitled, When People Meet Jesus. When people meet Jesus, John chapter 4, verse 27 through 42, describes what happens when a person meets Jesus. How do I know? Well, number one, that's what the Bible tells us. It, she meets Jesus, and this is what uh, kind of happens as, as that conversation comes to a close, as the disciples come back on the scene, they had went into town, grabbed some McDonald's, come back out to find Jesus at the well, and, and he's having this conversation, and that conversation comes to a close, and then we see the ongoing, what happens after this encounter with Jesus, what, what proceeds from her life. And so we, we see that. But I also know it from personal experience. I met Jesus. When I was 18 years old, Jesus changed my life, changed my life. And, and it set me on a course and a trajectory that I've never been the same. The, the purposes that God has called me to, the invitation that God has called me to, the mission that God has called me to, I, I am forever changed. I am forever different. God is continuing this work of transformation. And, and my life is different. The reason I can tell you these things are true are not just because of this woman's testimony, and you see that at the end of the story, but it's because I've seen, I've tasted for myself. Our hope, our prayer this morning is that this testimony that this woman shares would not just be a testimony that you hear, but a testimony that you receive and make personal this morning. When I was 18 years old, I found myself in Panama City Beach, Florida. I share this story a lot, and it's the miracle of Jesus that he opened my eyes to see. It wasn't a moment. It, was, it wasn't a moment in time. It really happened over the course of about a year to two. My friends invested in me. They invited me. They said, hey, come and see, come and see. That's the testimony of this woman. When we read back in John chapter 1 and 2, we see this message of come and see. We're invited to come and see the person of Jesus. And, and my friends, they invited me. They said, come and see, come and see. And they invited me. And, and I went and, and I participated in, in Bible studies and worship gatherings, similar to what we're doing here. And what happened over the course of that year to two years is that the light bulb came on. What I wasn't able to see, I was uh, in a moment, that happened in a moment, I was able to see. And, and that's the miracle because if, if Jesus doesn't do this, if Jesus doesn't open our eyes and give us the ability to see, we'll never see. We'll be just as blind as all of the encounters that Jesus had. When he says, hey, I'll raise this temple in three days, talking about his body. And they're like, it's going to take 46 years. It's like, man, it went right over their head, right? 
Jesus and Nicodemus. He's like, hey, you got to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, how in the world is someone supposed to get back in the womb of their mother? Right, right over their head. We think about this conversation. He says, I'm, I'm going to give you living water. And she says, you don't even have a bucket. He talks to his disciples and says, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And they're like, who gave this guy something to eat? There's a sense in which we need the power and presence of the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to open our eyes, for us to be able to see what we once were not able to see. And that's why we gather together. We open God's Word and we are prayerful, not not because our hope is in Justin, our hope is in our worship team, our hope is in perfectly articulated sermons, praise God, because I'll mess that up. But our hope is in the fact that we know the presence of God is here in our midst and that he has come to help people who were once blind be able to see. He helps us understand. He helps this text have meaning. And what I hope that you are able to see in this passage is the very fact, like this moment of conversion, this moment of transformation in this woman at the well, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And I believe by the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit at work in this room that a miracle could take place this morning. That somebody's eyes that were once blinded to who Jesus is, they would encounter him for the first time. They would meet Jesus. Now, it may seem kind of foreign when you think about meeting Jesus. It's like, is he going to walk in the back room and I'm going to walk up to him and say, hey, good morning, my name is Justin, great to meet you. What's your name? I'm Jesus. Oh, well, that's awesome. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for, we've been waiting for you to come and uh, we're glad you're here. Hopefully you approve of our gathering this morning. And it's like when we think about encountering Jesus, I want to be, I want to help us be reminded of the purpose of John's gospel that we're walking through. Because it says in John chapter 20, verse 31, that this was written, this book was written. Why? It was written so that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ. That this book would help move us to a posture of faith. That, that we would see Jesus. One of our uh, kind of descriptors of what we're seeking to do with this series and why we're spending two years. We're, we're seeking to paint an accurate picture of who is Jesus. We, we, want, we want to know who's Jesus. We want to meet Jesus. We want to encounter Jesus. And that's what this book does. The, the book of John, the gospel of John, is helping us and giving us a picture, a window in to see who this, this Jesus character is and that we would believe and that by believing we would have life, that we would truly live. And so that's what it means when, when I was 18 years old, I encountered Jesus. I, my eyes were open to who Jesus was. I, I, I was able to see through a window and had, had clarity for the first time of what he came to do, of how he wanted to transform and change me. And my life will never be the same. And that's what we see with this woman. This moment of conversion. This moment Of meeting Jesus. Charles Spurgeon says this about this passage. 
He says, we delight to think of the place where Jesus met with us. The providence which brought us to the spot where we first heard the words which convinced us of sin. Do you remember that moment? The moment where you were first convinced of sin? We feel pleasure in remembering every detail of our sorrows when we were seeking rest and finding none. And we are charmed as our eye reads in our diary the story of how it was that we found the way of salvation. How it was that we looked to Jesus and lost our burden in a moment. Our memory lingers and our heart loves to remember where it was and by whose lip it was. And the life-giving message came and we looked to the crucified one and we were lightened. And he goes on, he says, this is the reason why this chapter is so interesting. Because it's the story of conversion, the registry of a new birth, the record of salvation. It's the story of the conversion of a remarkable woman, great in sin and afterwards great in zeal. It tells us of how the work was affected, what was said to her by the Lord, how she replied, what she felt, and how she was brought into the light. And I love that summary and the description that he gives us of this passage. And I, I hope you're brought into this passage this morning. And, and I hope for us, it does a couple different things. One, I hope it, it shows us the power of God to transform lives. Did you know that God's still in the business of transforming lives just like this? He's still transforming lives. He's still at work in the hearts of people, pulling them out of darkness and bringing them into light. I love that. And no one is beyond his reach. I know we've all had family members and friends. And we're like, I, you know, I just feel like they're, they're too far. They're too far. And his hand is mighty to save. There's no one beyond his reach. There's no one that he cannot pull out of the depths of the pit of their depravity and open their eyes to the truth of who he is. I hope that it reminds us that he is still transforming lives. This work wasn't a one-time work. In, in many ways, it set us on a trajectory that we will continue be, continually be transformed. Has, has anybody arrived? I hope not. I hope we, we don't say that like, hey, I, I'm fully perfected, right? Like, no, we are constantly being transformed. He is constantly changing us. He did a work in us. He began that work in us. He's continuing that work in, in us until one day we are perfected in his sight. And then I want, lastly, for us to be able to see the instruments that God uses to bring about salvation. Who's he using this story? To bring about salvation in Samaria. The woman at the well. He's still using broken people to bring about his message of gospel transformation to cities. He chose me at one time, right? Hey, Justin, I want to invite you into a city. I want to redeem your life. And I think of the, the people that I've been able to touch and influence and be able to bring. Like I'm thankful for God's saving work in my life and that he uses broken people like me to, to help transform the world. That's amazing. And so that's what I want to see. When people meet Jesus, a few things happen, okay? I'm going to talk about four things, four shifts that we see in this passage, four things that happen when this woman encounters Jesus. And the first one is this, shame becomes story. Shame becomes story. Here's what I mean by that. 
Um, There's not a person in this room who hasn't experienced shame. Now, some of us have have been more debilitated by shame, and, and it's really moved us to a place of anxiety and fear and loneliness and isolation. Um, some of us experience maybe minimal areas of shame where we were like, hey, I just can't expose this. I need to be protective of this area of my life. But I want you to see the transforming work that Jesus does in her. He moves her from a place of where she's unwilling to share with this man at the well anything about her story to now going out into the city and proclaiming openly, let me tell you about a man who showed me everything I've ever done. And that's uncomfortable, right? Only when that becomes part of the miracle of God's transforming work in your life that he's able to redeem you from shame are you ever able to share that story. Because there's a sense in which we become so handicapped by the fact that we, we, we are so blinded by our shame that we could never go to a community. We could never go and testify. We could never move forward and see ourselves as an instrument that God would use unless God transforms, unless God moves, unless God works in our life in a certain way that he would take that shame and make that part of your story. All of us have a story. And as we talked about last week, that there's these wounds, there's these areas of our life that are sore, and Jesus puts his finger on it with this woman. He puts his finger on that wound, and he says, hey, go and call your husband, and he, and he touches that, and he does that to expose, not to exploit. He does that in a way to reveal her sin, but he goes, I want to bring you out of that shame. I no longer want you to live in shame. You know what shame does For many of us, and what we see shame do to this woman, it moves us to isolation. She finds herself at the well at about the sixth hour. She's coming at noon. People who came to draw water came early in the morning, late in the evening. It's hot. Carrying buckets of water, it's it's warm. She is living in a place of isolation. But in a moment... She goes from a a place of isolation back into the context of community, and now it's part of her story. Now it's part of her testimony. Now it's something that she is proclaiming that God has moved and worked within. And I love that. It says in verse 27 through 30, just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with this woman, but no one said, what do you seek? They didn't ask her, hey, what what are you doing here? Why are you talking with her? They didn't question Jesus. And it says the woman left her water jar, went into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And she asked this question. And they went out of the town and they were coming to him. Her shame was transformed. David Pallison, who's a biblical counselor, calls shame the silent killer. Because nobody knows about it. There's shameful things in our life that we don't want to reveal to other people. We don't want it to come to the light. We don't want that to be exposed. And deep down, it just eats at us. It eats at us. We're told you can never be accepted You'll always live in isolation. You'll always struggle with this. 
And this is the place where Jesus meets her. Shame defined is the deep sense that you're unacceptable because of something you did, something done to you, or something associated with you. You feel exposed and humiliated. And this is changed in a moment. She meets Jesus. So the question I asked is, what is it about this encounter with Jesus that changed that? And for me, when, when I look at this story, when I think about shame, uh, shame more, more often than not is associated with loneliness and isolation. And what we see at the very end of this is she's having this conversation and she says, when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us, and Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. The, the thing that overcomes her shame is that Jesus comes near. Jesus comes near. The, the very sense that she's feeling, she's feeling rejected, she's feeling abandoned, she's feeling alone, and Jesus comes near, and the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is sitting at the well with her. This is the person that Jesus seeks. This is the person that, that God is, is searching after, that he's looking for, that he's, that he's calling into worship, that he's inviting to come and drink of living water. This is the, the person that he's, he's, he's going for, and Jesus comes close. And this is what transformed her, is just the proximity of Jesus. That Jesus didn't reject her, that Jesus didn't abandon her, that Jesus didn't re- remove her from his presence. That Jesus came near. We see in Isaiah chapter 54, we see this beautiful picture. And Ed Welch in his book, Shame Interrupted, used this passage to uh, parallel it with John chapter 4. In Isaiah chapter 54, it's, it's described, Israel is described as a barren woman. And a barren woman would... Uh, experience deep shame in, in this culture. And uh, here the Lord speaks of Israel as a barren woman, and he talks about the transformation that he's going to bring. Verse 4 says, Fear not, for you will not be ashamed. Be not confounded, for you will not be disgraced. For you will forget the shame of your youth, and the reproach of your widowhood you will remember no more. Why? Because the maker is your husband. Like the maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. And I, I love this picture because she would go from nothing to the bride of the creator. She would go from a place of talking about this idea of husbands and she would meet a man who would be this picture of acceptance, of love, of approval, of invitation, of calling her near. And I just have to think that that invitation that was offered in that moment and Jesus drawing near would cause would cause the shame to fall away. Do you believe that 
about yourself? Do you believe that Jesus wants to? I hope you see the posture of Jesus that when you meet Jesus, that the posture of him is, is one that would want and desire to draw near to you, to not reject you, to not abandon you, to not isolate you, but to draw near and to invite you into deeper relationship with you, with him. For the, the maker is her husband. Now, I think this is the testimony of the power of God in this passage. Like the very thing that uh, we see in this, the very thing that she kept hidden, she's openly sharing. She's, she's sharing in her story, in her testimony. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. And I, I get for many of us, um, we're, we're not all maybe there. There's a sense in which like shame and disgrace, it continues to isolate us. And I'm praying and asking that the Holy Spirit would set you free from that this morning. That you would see that the maker is your husband. That he has drawn near to you. And I pray that you would be encouraged by that this morning and know that he has not rejected you. And that shame would become your story. And a picture of the transforming work that God does in your life. The second thing that happens though is that mission becomes motivation. Mission becomes motivation. We see this in verse 28 and then we also see this in the life of Jesus. In verse 28, it says, the woman left her water jar and went into the town and said to the people. Now, it's interesting that John highlights this because I think it's, it's such a, a, a small, insignificant event, but she leaves the very thing that she came to do, right? Like she came to draw water. She was thirsty and she comes to, to draw water, but the meeting with Jesus changed her priorities, Anybody have a change of priorities when you met Jesus? I did. My whole life was changed. Everything I was pursuing in life up to that point was radically reoriented. Radically. And, and to the point that, uh, like, part of my story is that I, I was pre-med. I, I was on a track to, uh, you know, seek, like, how can I... Uh, be this influential person, doctor, whatever, and, and have, and, and in a moment, it was, all, it was all shaped. It was all changed. It was all transformed. My priorities were reoriented. Mission became the motivation. We see this also in the life of Jesus in this passage. When the disciples come to him, urging him, say, Rabbi, eat. But he said to him, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone snuck him something to eat? Like, did he have a packed lunch? What's going on here? How is this guy full? We, you just sent us into town to go eat, and here we are, and, and now you're saying you're not hungry anymore. And Jesus said to them, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What is the thing that he says satisfies? What is it that, that nourishes his soul? What is it that makes him full in his appetite to go away? It's to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Let me ask you. When you think about 
the things that satisfy. And it's interesting because if we look back at where this conversation started, it was about, it was centered around a well. It was centered around this idea of thirst that all of us have this, this desire, this longing that we're searching for something to, to satisfy. And here Jesus says, the thing that fills our life is to do the work that God the Father called him to do. Do you believe that? Maybe if we're here this morning and we're feeling worn out and overwhelmed, could it be that our our priorities need to be reoriented? Could it be that we're drinking from the wrong well? Could it be that our mission in life is not to satisfy the the will of the Father, but it's to satisfy the will of Justin. And that the reason why I'm still longing for more and still hungry for more, and the reason why I can say like, hey, I'm full, is because I haven't actually participated in the mission of God. When Jesus gets into your heart, it has to flow into another. And so Jesus gets like deep in it, and she urgently like, in an all of a sudden moment, leaves the priorities at hand and goes on. And Jesus actually talks about this urgency. He talks about, you know, you plant seeds and the harvest takes four months. And he's like, hey, we ain't got time for that. It's urgent now. It's urgent. Do you experience a sense of urgency? And I think when Jesus gets into your heart and he transforms you and changes you, I go, man, I want everybody else to experience this. I want people to know that he deeply satisfies the longings of your soul. That there is joy that is to be found in Jesus that can be found nowhere else. And then in John chapter 20 verse 31, that if you believe, you can really have life in his name. And if you believe that, and that's where I go, I just don't know if we believe it. Because if we believed it, if we believed it, if we believed it, Mission would become the motivation of life. It would be what gets us up in the morning. I remember being 18 years old and just eyes open to Jesus, and I'm like, oh man, I want to give the rest of my life to this. And that wasn't my story. That wasn't, you know, there were so many other things I, I, I wanted to accomplish. And my life was just radically reoriented in a moment of meeting with Jesus that he would change the purposes of my life. And I'm like, man, I want to I go seeking after people. I, mission became the motivation. Third thing that happens is this. The profession becomes personal. Verse 42. These people that this woman went out and she began to proclaim, come and see, come and see. It says, they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that it is indeed the Savior of the world. Before I was 18, I didn't have a testimony. I didn't have a story. It wasn't personal. I... I, I know my friends, they, they had experienced, like they had a testimony, they had an encounter with Jesus, that, but that encounter that they experienced with Jesus, I needed for myself. 
We don't get to heaven on someone else's testimony. We have to meet Jesus for ourselves. We've all met people. It's like, well, you know, my parents were Christians, and so I'm a Christian. And it's like, no, you, you have to encounter Jesus. You, you have to encounter Jesus for yourself. It has to be your testimony. It has to become personal. Our hope and our prayer every single Sunday when we gather is that when you walk in this room, that you would encounter Jesus for you, that it would become personal, that you would be able to say it's no longer because of the testimony of so-and-so that's my friend that invited me, and I'm thankful for people like that, but it's because I walked in and, and Jesus met me. And for those of us who believe that maybe we're the one that Jesus doesn't want to come after, Jesus wants to come after you. The gospel tells us that he leaves the 99 to come after the one. He runs after you. He's seeking you. He's pursuing you. He wants that profession to become personal. That's our hope. Even this morning as we gather, that this wouldn't just be something out there, some pie in the sky, some belief that's been passed down through family member to family member, but something that you would encounter Jesus. I believe if you would encounter Jesus, it would forever change you. It says in Leslie Newbigin, even, uh, I, was, I was, he was a missionary to India. And uh, as I was beginning reading, I was like, surely he has something to say about like mission being the motivation. And uh, I love what he said because it, it actually proved me wrong. But he, he said the problem with the late 20th century evangelicalism is not that it ceased to be missional, rather that it ceased to be marked by a deep desire and love for the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so it's like, you can hear like, be missional, be missional, be missional, and it, it's not motivational. But if you encounter Jesus personally, and you have a deep encounter with Jesus personally, that that becomes the motivation for all areas of life. And so I was talking to some leaders of our prayer team the other day, and it's like, we can stand up in front of church and say like, hey, we want to be a church about prayer. We want to be a church about missions. We want to be a church about taking care of the needs of, of, of people who, who are needy in our community and that we desire to come alongside. We, we All of these things that we got to do, but they're never going to happen unless we personally encounter Jesus. We, we want that profession to be personal that we can testify, I have met with Jesus. And that's not a one-time encounter. We gotta keep meeting with Jesus. That, that, that encounter with Jesus would be a catalyst to push us into pockets of our city, to places in our world that are in deep need of the gospel. The last thing that we see happen in this text is that Samaria becomes saturated. And I thought about this and, uh, you know, our vision at Church of the Valley is to see the Salt Lake Valley saturated with the good news of Jesus. And I talk about this often because 
When we think about saturating the Salt Lake Valley with the, with the good news of Jesus, that's such a, a, a big mission and a task, right? Like, there's several million people across this valley. If you go up on, a, on the mountain and you look out across this valley and you just see uh, how wide and, and how deep this valley is, there's just so many people. And to think about saturating the valley with the good news of Jesus, it can seem overwhelming. But look at where it began in the story. The story of saturating Samaria began with a woman at the well. A broken, shameful woman at the well. An isolated, abandoned woman at the well. And Jesus says, I'm going to choose her. I'm going to redeem her. And she will be the instrument that God uses to bring the good news of the gospel to Samaria. I look at that and I go, how, how beautiful of a picture. When we think about the people God uses, I, if you have any sense of humility, you'd be like, probably not me, right? Like, he's not going to use me. What can God, and that's the miracle of God is he uses broken people like you and I to do incredible things. And that's more of the testimony of God's power, not ours. That he is able to do and work. I love what this picture is because so many times we think about if I'm going to be a faithful evangelist, then I need to go to evangelism training. I need to uh, walk through outreach classes. I need to know the depths, ins and outs of every single thing about God's word. And I'm not saying that those things wouldn't be helpful and those things you shouldn't jump in and pursue. But here's the thing. This woman had an encounter with Jesus. She met him at a well and she was faithful to go and tell. And she was fruitful in her ministry because of it. All she had was an encounter with Jesus. So any of us who have the excuse of going, I don't know enough. Hey, if you've met Jesus, you have a story to tell. And so we, we get to go and share this good news and Samaria becomes saturated. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and they stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. That's awesome. And I, and I go, I, I want to participate in that. I want to see that happen. I want to see that happen in our church. I want to see that happen in our neighborhoods. I want to see that happen in our families, that God would choose us as instruments that, that, that he would use to reach the ends of the earth. Samaria of all places, that God would use them to, to transform. So when I think about saturation, we think about the valley, it, it starts with an encounter with Jesus. And that's where I want to kind of draw us back to as we kind of come to a close here. I'm going to invite Wes to come on back up and When we think about what it is, what was the initial conversation? What was the catalyst for this movement in Samaria? It was a meeting with Jesus. It was a meeting with Jesus. 
And I, I hope you see that Jesus' posture towards you is, again, not one of stiff-arming you, but drawing you near. He wants to meet with you. Every morning of every day, of every week, of every year of your life, Jesus has an invitation for you on the table. Come and meet. Come and meet. Come and see. Come and see. When you wake up tomorrow on Monday morning, there's an invitation on the table to come and see. And it's that encounter with Jesus that propels us forward. You ask, what does it look like for me to be faithful? It starts with you just encountering Jesus, meeting with Jesus, day by day, moment by moment. It starts with you. Do you believe that Jesus wants to meet with you? Do you believe that Jesus wants to take your shame and show how he's going to transform that into a story? Do you see that Jesus wants to come and give you a greater purpose and motivation and mission in the world to be a part of his mission, to be a part of his team and and to join his forces in fighting darkness and evil. You see the invitation. Are you being fueled by his mission? Are you being fed by his mission? Are you introducing and inviting people to come and see? Charles Spurgeon says, a very large number of us owe our conversion to God to the personal testimony of others who told us what the Lord had done for them, told us in words, but also showed us in their actions. For we perceived the change that was in them. We saw their calm of mind under trouble. We remarked their general happiness. We noticed and we admired their holiness. And we were led both by their verbal and practical testimony to seek a Savior. Does your life cause people to seek a Savior? That people want to come and see the man who transformed you, who changed you, and who continues to do a major work in our lives. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I pray that you would meet us in these next few moments as we respond. That you would open our eyes to the reality that, Lord, you, you've in, invited us to come near and you drew near. Think about Adam and Eve and their shame in Genesis chapter 3 and your pursuit of them. And in their shame, they hid, but you went after. Lord, thank you for coming after us. Thank you for opening our eyes, giving us the ability to see. And Lord, would we help others see? Would we encounter you this morning that it would propel us to be a part of your mission this week as we're sent from this place? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.